iTunes Celebrity Playlist Podcast. This week's podcast features Jeff Beck and Johnny Marr. Yeah. Hey, so maybe <laughs> maybe the thing to do is if you, if you talk about a track and then we'll just flip flop. You do one of yours and I'll do one of mine, and then what, think, one of my favourite tracks of mine. No, no, one of the tracks on your list. Yeah, but there's uh, the two lists. Your your list. Are you talking about? Are we talking about each other's tracks no, or what? Oh, I don't know. I thought that maybe you if you just you just mention a track. Okay, and then well, I'll mention one of my, Top oh, of my list. Bebop um, Palula, right? Vincent Gene. Yeah, it's Cliff Gallop on guitar then. You better believe it, yeah. And did he use, um, I heard that he used a regular pick, but he also used picks on his fingers too. Or is yes, it, he did. Um, I'm proud to say that I'm the proud owner of uh, three of his finger picks. Brilliant. He sent, he sent, before he died, he was asked by a Guitar Player magazine, you know, how he played and he told them. And they, uh, I got a letter with from Cliff saying that he flattened them out to put them in a put the picks in an envelope so they didn't burst out the side of that's my one of my prized possessions is that and uh so yeah he used to i think two finger picks and a flat pick and i tried to do that i tried to do use that and it's hopeless that he's the one guy that could do it <laughs> but that bebop balula that is the that is the building blocks of all rock and roll in my opinion and and um he's kind of um it's kind of jazzy in a way, really. So he's got a pretty odd, odd style, hasn't he? Well, he does. He has a country picking, which well, transcended country picking. It went into if you listen to the second Gene Vincent album. Yeah. It just um, it's one. It stands alone from anything else in the world and anything else Gene Vincent ever did uh, as being manic. And the, I think it's largely because when Cliff was unceremoniously excluded from the movie, which made Many stars, you know, Gene Vincent, Eddie was, Cochran. Was that the girl, the girl can't, can't help, help it? it. Yeah, uh, I think he probably felt. Well, I imagine that he was very miffed about not being you, you know, asked to do it, and then had the they had the cheek to ask him to do the album after the movie, <laughs> and the front cover had a guy called what Russell Williford on the front, oh, man. who was a nineteen-year-old kid. So imagine how he felt. Um, I'll show that little b- bunch of, you know. <laughs> so that that got uh, got all the aggression out, and and he never sounded like that ever again. And uh, still a masterpiece. And have you um, you st- sort of just stayed like a fan of his all really since yeah. you since all the way down the line you've been a fan of his, haven't you? Well, yeah, I, I was, and even if he'd been really, really, you know, world acclaimed, I would, I still would have been a massive fan. But the fact that he was such a dark horse and no footage exists at all. No movie footage exists. Not one frame is making it even more enticing, you know, more mysterious. Right, yeah. And I'll leave it at that. <laughs> Great, okay, then to Biba Palula. Cool. list was supposed to be in but anyway i'll um first one i'll pick is um i don't know whether you know this it's a uh, big bird by eddie floyd and i know eddie floyd knock on wood guy isn't it yeah yeah he's known for knock on wood and um this might have even been originally the b-side of knock on wood or something then got released yeah. but it's uh and when did you get hooked on that one I, I got into it like in the late 70s early 80s when i was in my sort of late teens um 
just one well, one of the reasons why I formed the Smiths was there was just no decent guitar music around. Everything was like uh. Uh, it's just sort of synthesizer music, and yeah. I didn't like the music that was kind of being made for my age group. Really, that's that's why I kind of started to troll back into old music, which was just incredible mm. for me. Really, because well uh, done. <laughs> I'm glad it, there's somebody flying. The flight. It, it was amazing <laughs> because well, it started off. Uh, just my mate, I, my mate, uh, his sister liked Motown music, and even then it was like really old fashioned. But I heard, yeah. I heard the mm. Four Tops, and then I went to this old rare record shop, and it was just like this sea of vinyl. And I just was oh. like, it was literally like looking out into an ocean of possibilities. Because from yeah. then on, I just went there every week and just bought a forty-five because the yeah. the music in, at the time was you, just garbage. Do you think those Do you think those days are gone now? I mean, the 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 fact the vinyls well, vinyls coming back. They tell me it is anyway. Uh, I think which is astonishing when you think of the crudeness, which is only one step away from the cylinder, isn't it? Really? <laughs> it well, my kids, um, like my son, started a vinyl collection. He's eighteen and he really treasures it, and because yeah. he um, he just thinks of it not even as an old artifact. He just thinks of it as this uh, really beautiful object. Yeah, and just the cover and all the things that it's almost well, come full circle now. Where it's it, a, it's as though that the CD is just a, a secondary token, rather than the main thing. You know, it's like a sort of free sample. Exactly. You know, I, well, I, here's a quick snapshot of what you could get, but you've got to go down to the shop and buy the proper thing. <laughs> well, it's as I say, it's not even like um, he doesn't even see it like a, an artifact. Um, he sees it as just this really almost like a luxury item. Yeah. So in a way, it's kind yeah. of almost come come full circle. Yeah, but well, I used to treasure my album covers, and if anybody touched them, if there was a thumbprint, <laughs> they're dead. <laughs> Have you still got a lot of your old vinyl? No, unfortunately, when I moved, um, I moved house. Um, there were, I kept all my albums in an oak chest, uh, and I forgot because it was the last heavy object. I couldn't really fit it in. I couldn't lift it even. And uh, I came back, and all the albums... Uh, were, had been stolen and uh, somewhere left in the woods where the guy, a next door neighbour had caught the guy, chased him off and he dropped a load of the albums. Uh, the, he had a pile of them under his chin and he dropped a few. Uh, my mate went to the, my next door neighbour went to the um, police and called the police. By the time he got back, the, he, the cheeky geezer had come back and turned into the woods and taken them all so there's nothing left. So I've, I've had to replace them, you know, but they'll never be the same. Oh, the man. I got when I was at school, you know. Uh, so was that kind of recently then? No, no, no. That was in uh, sixty, sorry, seventy uh, four, when I moved house. Yeah, seventy four. So I had all dog eared. I had dog eared ones. I had Julian London. I had uh, Gene Vincent. All those ones are gone. All the ones from my that I used to play on my mum's record player. That probably worthless to the guy who told, stole them. You know, I, I know who stole them by the way. So <laughs> it, there was some building works going on in the house. Not uh, the next house up, and he could see because it was up on the top of a hill. He could see everything that I was doing, and he knew the best time to strike. And he knew he saw the van leave, and he just waited till I gone and helped himself. Oh. And he took a washing machine, a spin dryer. <laughs> those, those three things. Those three things were the only thing that weren't left. Were left there. He didn't take like um, a cool fender amp or anything. <laughs> No, no, I wouldn't. I, I, I just, you know, the the fixtures and fit, like, who wants to lift a washing machine <laughs> and a chest full of records? So they, they were definitely uh, going to be picked up the same day, but he beat me to it. Oh man, well. So yeah. tell me about the. Um, oh yeah, so Big Bird. Record. It's um, 
What I've done actually, I mean, these are all records that I really love. But uh, with a couple of these, I thought that maybe if you hadn't heard them, if you if you ever get to hear this podcast yeah, I've, I've and you hear the track, them, you uh, might actually you might actually like it. Or you know, and, you uh, never heard that one. Yeah, it's it, well, it, on you. What one of the things that I like about it is is that it's guitar based, which I think is kind of unusual in soul music. Um, uh, or if in some soul music that does have guitars on there's so yeah. much there's so much other instrumentation on that the guitar just sort of fades into the background but in this yeah. case this case it almost sounds like a demo um uh, there's there's brass on it um but aside from that it's just like a four-piece band really so the guitar's really yeah, to the forefront nice. and it's also a little sloppy and sounds like it was like the second or third take so i like it for that reason because it doesn't have that kind of slick overproduced vibe about yeah, it yeah 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 so it's pretty rocking so anyway it's big bird by eddie floyd you know Okay, Jeff. What's your next one? Well, uh, let's see now. Uh, Lucille, that that one record, Little Richard, is the like Bebopalula. The, the those two records, no matter where I am and where they're played, if I don't know they're coming on, it still still gives it that jolt of electricity. Right. And, you know what I mean. No matter whether you're you're lying in bed with a flu and temperature and you're dying, if that came on the radio, you feel better. You know? Right. It seems, um, like, it seems like it seems like from reading your interviews uh, over the years and um, you know following you that um, uh, that you really like rhythm and um, you like kind of um, I mean you know I know you you know you're no stranger to melody and all all other other stuff as well but mm-hmm. a lot of people get really hooked on on melodic stuff but it seems like with you you, you really like kind of forceful upbeat rhythm well, you like, you're a fan of rhythm is, right. It, the thing is, is that no one ever has had a, a, a raspy voice like Little Richard, which is quite frightening for us. It was like some loony gone, you know what I mean? Exactly, yeah. But the way he sang that and the way that Earl Palmer plays the drums with no cymbals, it's just a snare drum and a, and a you know very judicious use of, of a bass drum. And it's the understatedness, likewise with the bebop lula. There's no drum, no sticks, it's just brushes, but the intensity's there. And the magic is there. And whoever made that record, uh, either of those records, knew what what the lifeblood of rock and roll was about. Right. Um, maybe I should have let put in this list of rock around the clock because that does the same thing as well. It's got so much action in it. Bebop has got two fabulous guitar solos. The second one, you know, almost outdoes this, you know, in a perfect design way, uh, the first one. Uh, and Lucille, I mean, it's just... Just full on all the way through. Did Did you ever see him in the on any of the early tours in the UK? Yeah, I did. Yeah, and he had um, Billy Preston on organ. Wow, he was about sixteen, and all I could see was this Billy Preston, who was almost break dancing on the organ. I can't describe it. He He was active, you know, in a way that most keyboard players never moved. They just played. But yeah, he was dark. He was bopping and weaving all over the place, and I even remember. That at the you know at the end of the song that where he was featured, uh, Richard said that was that was um, Billy Preston, and uh, yeah, I think you'll check the records. It was him. Um, it probably was um, Richmond Granada or somewhere or, or Kingston Granada. I saw him. That must have been almost terrifying. I've seen little Richard. 
It was, and it was terrifying. Vincent was more scary because I had the front row. I was sitting almost in one of the worst sit seats in the house uh, for a movie, which is front row, but second from the extreme left. <laughs> so I was looking up his nostrils, and uh, <laughs> and he was scary. He looked at me, and I thought, Don't, hold on, mate, you know, <laughs> it wasn't me. <laughs> yeah, right. And he looked like a killer. He just he looked like a psychotic killer, you know. Right, um, yeah. And then he sang, he sang Summertime and then completely blew us away. But there were no blue caps. What a letdown. What a tremendous letdown. Uh, was it like a pickup band? A pickup band. They were okay. I forgot about the blue caps after about 15 minutes because he was so electrifying. Yeah, right. I saw right. Buddy Holly. I'm one of the few people that saw Buddy Holly in Croydon in in Surrey, where, not far from where I lived, in 58. I saw Buddy Holly there. Right, well, maybe um, if, they, if they play... Um... If if they now play uh, Lucille, fade away. which is killer, and then I'll um, and I'll and then I'll talk about Buddy Holly. Great. All right then. Okay. I woke up this morning, Lucille was not in sight. I asked my friends about her, but all the list was tight. Lucille, please come back while you belong. I think good to your baby. Well, my next one is uh, Not Fade Away, and the reason I picked it, I mean, aside from the fact it's just a killer record, and mm. I like that it kind of transcends, um, uh, it's kind of beyond sort of trendiness, or, you know, it still yeah. sounds... But 30-odd years later, 40 years later, um, he still sounds great because his tunes yeah. are so good. And yeah. it's almost, in a way, it's like... Um, it's like a lo-fi recording almost, really. Mm, mm. And well, most of his stuff was done on an Ampex 2-track, I hear. I mean, you you know, like bouncing uh, onto two machines, but pretty much archaic multi-tracking, but that's what I heard. Um, Amazing. And that, that was, uh, that'll that be the day, and no one's got to sound like that. You know? Well, the, um, the, the, the drums on it are really ahead of the time, and I think um, um, it... it I think the first time I, I was aware of it was being a little kid, the Stones version, and I just liked it as a track because, I mean, anything personally, uh, for me, any, anything that's got Bo Diddley in it, it's it fine, just like yeah. a bit of a snag for me because I just, I just, you know, I'm really kind of hooked on that rhythm, you know. Yeah, and um, me too. But, I mean, I've, I always have been from being a little kid, and um, but my, my parents were really into uh, rock and roll, the Buddy Holly stuff, and they didn't mind, like, they, they just played it all, all the time, so um, they um, they kind of brought it over with him from you know from. Wow, you were lucky. You were lucky to have parents that entertain any form of rock and roll. <laughs> <laughs> well, they, they still like all of that stuff now. I mean, they, when I what happened with me was that my, my parents they were pretty young when I was born. They kept moved over to Manchester from Ireland, and there was a whole load of them moved over on mass, and because they, mm. they were all young, they just really liked um, they they liked the pop music of the day. Yeah. Um, which was, you know, like w whatever was going on, the Hollies and, and Motown and stuff like that. But they, mm. they brought over with them from Ireland um, loads of rock and roll music. And I think yeah. because there's a connection with country music as well, they brought a lot of that stuff over. But um, mm -hmm. they And they were just um, vinyl freaks. I think yeah. because it, they were a little bit, um, because Ireland was maybe a little bit, I don't want to use the word behind the times, but back then um, might have been. They was mm -hmm. they they had no problem still still playing um, like Eddie Cochran and just the stuff that I'd been out about five years earlier. Yeah, the, you know they weren't sort of hooked on everything having to be modern. So I got pretty lucky like that because the mm. first record, my first ever memory 
ever was of uh, my mum playing the Everly Brothers and she played it about 15 times. Like yeah. it's the first time I ever saw anyone obsessively playing a, a record over and over and over again. She was <laughs> with, with, with her sister-in-law. They were both these two young women okay. stood <laughs> at this record player and I was just messing around with some toy car on the floor or something and I was watching them. <laughs> I was watching them kind of dissecting this record and examining it yeah. and the kind of joy that they got from it and just yeah. playing this bit over and over again. So I don't, I don't really know why I got hooked on the guitar. That's another question. Mm. But I think there's something about that sound um, yeah. of, uh, particularly well, on those records, the sort of Chet Atkins it sound. Was, it was such a vital and, and um, prominent ingredient in the record that that's what hooked me. It wasn't so much the singing of Elvis Presley, it was the guitar the effect of the guitar that it had on me and how effective it was in, in the small kind of combo, you know, how it was so huge and yet it, it wasn't, do you know what I mean? It was, there was slap in time with the beat and it just became so vital in, in all those records and all the Scotty Moore solos were so beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Packed, dynamite packed uh, for short spells and, you know, and then you get Cream doing 45-minute guitar solos to me that, that Scotty Moore could say more in in a sort of 15 second burst you know in those records well that's uh, kind of yeah. I, I know what you mean because that's kind of uh, what I you know what I try and do in that that's why I've, I've always been um, I've never seen pop music as like a dirty as a you yeah. know as a uh, a dirty word or a bad yeah. term because for what I've always done is like try and make pop guitar yeah. music uh, pop yeah. music with guitar as kind of just as you've described, you know, in my way really, where, you know, it'll have like tremolo on the intro or it'll have a slide on there or just yeah. something where the, the guitar is uh, yeah. not in the background but part of a pop yeah. track that it's all done in like, wrapped up in like three and a half minutes or something, yeah. you know. So yeah, going back to the, your, your uh, Buddy Holly, uh, when they did not, uh, a lot of the stuff, um, I think they were in, the crickets were interviewed and they described how Peggy Sue was came about and how... Um, the, the use of the Celeste wasn't it on uh, every day oh yeah and it was somebody somebody's mum or <laughs> came in and played it uh, um, or some studio guy it was one of those really interesting little sideline stories and uh, probably a cardboard box on Not Fade Away it sounds a bit cardboard boxy on, um, on this on Not Fade Away well, doesn't it? I, I wonder, I mean, I'm yeah, right. That's right. Because I, that's right. I, I heard the story about it being on Peggy Sue, but I actually think if you listen to this track, it does sound like pretty much the same. Yeah, I think this is a cardboard box. Yeah. yeah. I'm gonna tell you how it's gonna be. Are you gonna give your love to me? I wanna love you night and day. You know my love and not fade away. Uh, so well, I've just picked um, uh, "Not Fade Away." So your go, my go. Okay. It's got to be a good. It's got to be a real killer one. This now, Jeff. Yeah. All right, Mister. Okay. James Brown. Oh, cool. I think to to end all energy sort of debates, I think you've got to say James Brown had it all. Get right. up off that thing. Right. And please, please, that one got all the girls going crazy. He was like the Black Elvis, wasn't he, in 58, 59? Right, I've never actually uh, thought I, of it like that, but I guess that's right, yeah. Well, you know, I mean, people screaming, you know, at the Apollo when 
when I was just on the cusp of getting to know the Rolling Stones, uh, Ian Stewart, who's sadly not with us, um, he was a record nut. I mean, he could have had the most incredible record shop ever. He he said, listen to this, and pulled me into the, this little uh, bungalow they used to live in in Epsom, Surrey, and and laid this live James Brown on me, and I, never came, I came out of there a different person. <laughs> yeah, sure. And uh, followed the, the band, you know, Clyde Stubblefield, the drummer, and... Uh, I can't remember the other drummer's name, but the two drummer thing was so cool. And they worked in harmony and they weren't sort of two egotistical drummers trying to outdo each other. They worked as a sort of one rolling machine, which I'd still envy and still wish I'd been rhythm guitar in that band, you know? Yeah, yeah, well, he had the two guitar players. Well, I think around the time of this, uh, there's some sort of debate with this track as to whether Bootsy Collins is actually playing on it. I know he, yeah. was, he was in the band at that time, but... No one really knows for sure. I know Jimmy Nolan's playing guitar, but what I loved about that band as well was like, I suppose all these bands had, had, had this, but you got the two guitar players and it was like one guy's job. Yeah. All he did, when he got up in the morning, all he had to worry about was going, on every track. And then the other guy, his mate, just had to go, well, just had to count one, two, one, two, but he had to do it so well. What a cool gig, you know what I mean? It must have been, but... He used to fine his players for for screwing up, and um, he used to have used to if you see him some uh, black and white footage, amongst all the jigging and the gyrating, he's got his hand behind his back, and he shows a certain amount of fingers, uh, f as to indicate to the players how many bars to the stop, and uh, or how many accents, uh, at the stop. You know, in other words, at bat bat, and then if they did if someone screwed up and did too many, they were fined fifty bucks. Matt. <laughs> They Brilliant. kept them on their metal, you know. But uh, he's... Um, uh, did you ever see him? So did you see him back in the day then? Uh, no, no. I saw him live at uh, Lone Star in New York and I, I just never forget that either. Yeah, I, I saw him, um, you know, when he was getting on a bit in, I don't know, yeah. maybe late 80s or something, mid-80s and um, in London and he was really, really good. You know, he was, and the band was great. And I, uh, but the only thing is, the last time I saw him, maybe two, could it be three years ago? Maybe more. I don't know. Uh, time's just, you know, doesn't mean anything to me really. But yeah, uh, he put this woman on for about half an hour before he came on. <laughs> it was his <laughs> girlfriend. We were going, where the hell's James? James comes on and sings amazingly for about a number. Then on comes the girl again. It was right. weird. And then I think maybe his voice was giving him trouble, but. Yeah. I just remember thinking we got a long way to go to get a band that sharp. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the, the um, I mean, when I was, uh, you know, when I was in my mid-teens, this was like the party track, really, if you're at a house party, um, yeah. you know, and it was an old, it was kind of an old song then, you know, uh, I think it came out in the mid-70s, so I'm talking about late 70s, but no one really cared, and like the youth clubs that I went to, mm -hmm. um, when they played uh, kind of, I guess what was the precursor to disco or whatever. It yeah. was it was stuff that was all derivative pretty much from this track. I mean, like, you know, there was a couple of Funkadelic tracks and stuff, but what I really like that, um, I mean, I think this might be oversimplification, but mm -hmm. I mean, I'm a big Nile Rodgers fan. I know you work with Nile Rodgers. Yeah. And, um, I, you know, I think that you, you could sort of argue without this music, you know, you wouldn't hear Nile Rodgers doing what he's doing, really. No. Uh, which is no. all, you know, so it's all good to me. It's like, you know, the party track. Get up
Right, it's a good choice, Jeff. Good choice. Mm-hmm. Well, I could go on. I've got a million, and it, it seems kind of, you know, not right that we're forced into making any preferences because, you know, I could talk to you, you know, for days, you know, about this influence, why that works, and this, why this record is so important. But you, you, you have to narrow it down to one piece of A4. You know? Yeah, right. But it's, it's, um. Yeah, I mean, I've this. I, I got a list of like a lot of the records that you you you, you were going to talk about. You know, Eddie yeah, Cochran and all, and you know something else, and Django Reinhardt too. And it's interesting because I was thinking about Django Reinhardt, and I was like, oh right, okay. Um, it it didn't actually occur to me that how Les Paul was so influenced by Django Reinhardt. You can yeah. just hear it. Yeah, you can. And it was only like really this week thinking about the the, the tunes that you were, that you liked. I thought, oh right, okay. Mm. So there's a line from Django Reinhardt to Les Paul yeah. to obviously it's in some some of what you do, you know, and in yeah. what what loads of people do. My last one, I just think, just because it kind of be, might be interesting to talk to you about yeah. it, I was thinking of picking What Do You Want oh, by dear. the Yardbirds. I saw that written and I went, oh dear, I don't remember. I, I haven't heard that since the day we recorded it. <laughs> really? Well, yeah, I'm, maybe like that I have, with, but... I'm like that with some songs. But, yeah. um, I mean, there's a load of, load of songs, obviously, records that I like. I mean, there's like, you know, I thought, you yeah. know, Bernadette, The Four Tops and... Um, also, I mean, there's <clears throat> there's a couple of things like you see Barabba Jaggle I was thinking about as well, which is kind of a bit. Can I, who played drums on that track? Do you remember? That was uh, Tony Newman, right? Tony Newman and uh, Nicky Hopkins. It was my band, right? Right. And that was a uh, Mickey Mouse way of uh, homogenizing his acts, you know, or integrating. You know, he he said Jason uh, John, Donovan would love you to play on his record. I didn't want to, you know, because. I don't, you know, uh, catch the wind isn't my cup of tea, but exactly, he said, yeah. no, no, we, it, Donovan loves the way that you backed Rod and all that. So uh, we came out with this uh, really, if you listen to the drums, they're really funky. Yeah. And uh, it just put a whole new sort of uh, vision of, you know, me listening to Donovan. Didn't expect that. No, absolutely. It's kind I of think a it's a manic, you know, it, 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 he just gets into a, if you listen to it, it's almost like a psychedelic repetitive trance record yeah it's a really really good track and it sounds really live as well which um, it was i think we only did it twice and then that was it yeah it sounds like the band are all really uh, enjoying playing it you know Right. Oh, well, okay, but I'm still going to pick. Uh, what do you want? I think because okay. people might find it interesting. And um, it's well, if you don't remember it, I've, it's it's got um, a weird solo. It, it, it almost sounds like there's a bit of tapping in the solo, which oh, really, yeah. And it's it's hard because it's it's uh, well, if you can't remember it, I mean, there's no point me talking through it. But no, I just remember that Keith's voice. And what do you want? I remember we all. I think there was some vocal. Uh, support behind that. I just honestly, I really. That's off no, the Roger the Engineer album, isn't it? 
Yeah, it's no, it's from the Yardbirds record, I think. Yeah, the Roger, it's called Roger the. Engineer. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Well, the what I like about um, what I like about Yardbirds records was, um, which I think it was unusual for the for the time when you listen to the other bands is the um, there's there's dynamics in it. You know, there's like the Yardbirds mm. seem to be quite into doing stops and starts. You know, breakdowns. Yeah. And um, was that like an intentional thing, or was that something that you built up from live, or was that something well, you wanted yeah. to develop? I think it was because the first hit record they had had a drastic um, kind of revolutionary stop in the middle and a change of tempo, right slap, in the middle of a two and a half or three minute single, which wasn't being done then. Um, right. You know what I mean by changing the the the, the verse verse ended after the chorus, and then it goes don't go, you know right. Yeah, right. Cheekily it does that, and then that became a trademark, and then uh, lo and behold. Uh, uh, Beach Boys come out with good vibrations with about four different rhythmic changes in it. Right, because so, really no one else was doing it. All the sort of, no. you know, what are called beat groups would just play the song pretty straight, didn't they? Yeah, we wanted to be popular, but we didn't want to go along with the verse, chorus, verse thing. That was the definite no-no. And I remember that was my job to make sure they didn't do go back to Chicago blues. You know, right. Because that, that was so done, you know, and... Uh, uh, John Mel's Blues Breakers and about um, umpteen other bands were doing 12-bar blueses. Um, and then we, when that when For Your Love came out, it opened up the whole possibility of me, um, ex, you know, finding myself in that band and, and replacing Eric and doing what he wouldn't do. Well, it's interesting because um, when you listen to those records and when you were in the band, it, it seems like there was that there was definitely someone thinking... Let's yeah. not just fall fall into that kind of trap, if you like. Well, they were cunning because they would feed me just a bare morsel of lyric, and maybe just a half baked bass line, and I would take the rest of it and go with it, you know. And uh, well, you know, it was, everything was so fast then. You know, we we made a record in four days for an album max. Right. Uh, otherwise, everyone start looking at each other, going, "Who's who's screwed up? We we have to go for another day," you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. But what was on your mind in terms of the guitar approach then? Were you still, um, I mean, you always have, obviously a musician always has their influences that, you know, you can't get away from your influences. And, well, you know, so... No, oh, I, uh, um, there's there's the influence, I, I, without having the whole catalogue in front of me and going through track by track, I, I find it difficult to remember exactly what I did. But sure. I just remember feeling the, the freedom of being, being given an, an open playing ground, you know. Um, and however wacky it was, they they would just either go yes or no, you know. So um, yeah, because it's really it was just really unusual at that time because people yeah. then um, what what became known as psychedelic sort of really happened after that though really and was you yeah. know mm -hmm. it, it just seemed like what you were doing there was all these no weird noises that sound like you know yeah. cars racing. Right. And, I think I think it could have been just the maximum use of minimum. Uh, talent <laughs> um, because the drummer wasn't any great shakes as a drummer uh, bass player was no great shakes as a, a traditional funk or any other kind of bass player but he did have a sound yeah he had a he had a, a, a epiphone that sounded like world war Two breaking out i mean it was deep throated sound you know which was the basis of the excitement that the yardbirds had back then and when i heard that and and the drummer it was almost like a Chicago drummer, no chops, but just grooved and, and uh, was not chastised by too much uh, 
too many f- fancy fills. Do you know what I mean? There, there was just yeah, a sure. that I, f- I found very appealing. And it also made me look good because I knew a lot more than they did. <laughs> but I think what I'm trying to say, though, is interest is that you're playing on those records. Um, you don't hear necessarily, you don't necessarily hear Cliff Gallup and you don't hear no. Scotty Moore and, no. and you don't hear like Hubert Sumlin, but you hear something really unique and... Um, in a way, you know, what was the building blocks of what you, you've sort of became known yeah. for, really, almost yeah. like you just started to find your own your own thing between this yeah. electric guitar and an amp. Do you think that's right? Um, could be. Uh, the, the thing was, like I say, the speed, it was the essence, and uh, just because it, we had limited time. And when you're 20, or whatever it was I was then, uh, you, ev- everything's in fast motion. Right. And so, and therefore, also, what we did was driven by massive injections of humour. I, I can't describe it, but we were more of a comedy team as well. Um, right. That that played such a vital role that we were hysterical most of the time, laughing and just falling all over the place. And uh, in between times, there was some music. <laughs> right, so it was pretty wacky then. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, yeah, well, I'll, I'll pick this as um, my last record because it's, right. uh, it's a bit of a hidden gem, really. What do you want by the Yardbirds? Jeff, it's been nice talking to you anyway. Yeah, you too. And um, so you're on the road for a while now? Uh, yeah, we're, we're, we've got two more fairly big gigs here. Well, the big, big two big gigs in uh, Tokyo tomorrow and the next day. Then we start the West Coast America tour. We've been to Australia, Japan, Hong Kong, Korea. <laughs> right. And uh, So it's all full on at the moment. And um, And then you come back over to Europe for a bit, don't you? Yeah. Uh, and then we end the year at the Abbott Hall and a few dates in, in the UK. So maybe we'll see you. Yeah, I'll, I'll, well, if I'm in London, I'll, I'll, um, I'll come and say hello anyway. It'd be nice to see the Great. show. Nice one. Okay, well, uh, thanks for inviting me and it been nice doing it, Jeff. Yeah, loved it. Yeah. Cheers. cheers. Good luck with it. See ya. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. iTunes Celebrity Playlist Podcast. 